0: November 9th, 1996 was one of the most memorable nights of my life as a boxing fan. It is, of course, the night on which Evander Holyfield pulled off one of the biggest upsets of all time. He was a 25 to 1 underdog and he beat Mike Tyson, stopping him in the 11th round after a thrilling battle. Now, recently, Holyfield was talking to BBC Radio 5 Live, and he revealed his psychological and tactical approach to that particular fight. And it's always fascinating hearing about it because Holyfield has always been a man of few words. He's never been a really talkative person. So when he does give you an insight into a particular fight, especially even one of the Tyson fights, it's always an interesting listen. So I'm going to quote Holyfield directly. He said, quote, I always liked to come forward. Everyone thought I was going to run for Mike. I wanted him to know I wasn't going anywhere. That was the whole big thing. I felt that I had quicker hands than Mike. I felt I had the reach. I got to hit him a couple of times. When you start hitting people, they start changing. Mike even said himself, everyone's got a plan until they get hit. I'm one of those fighters that got hit a lot of times by some good shots, but I can take it. The point of the matter was, Mike didn't get hit a lot because people were kind of timid with Mike. With me, I wasn't timid. I realized he was going to hit me, but I had the right to hit him back. The art of the game was to let him know that he chose the wrong person this time because if he's going to get me, he's going to have to outwork me. The thing is, I had already made up my mind that I would get the last punch. So when he goes back to the corner, I wanted him to think about how hard I had hit him. I didn't want to go back thinking about how hard he hit me. I knew that was part of the game plan. You've got to push him. You've got to beat him to the punch. I know that things that people tend to do to their opponent, they don't like that for it to happen to them. When I saw I hit Mike to the body, I knew it would slow him down." End quote. So, The first thing I want to pick up on that Holyfield said there was that he felt he had quicker hands than Mike. And that's an extraordinary thing to say because Mike Tyson has some of the quickest hands in heavyweight history. See, that's one of the things which shocks people about Mike Tyson when they watch him for the first time is not just the punching power, but the speed in which the punches are delivered. That is what surprises people. So for Holyfield to say he felt he had quicker hands than Mike, I mean, I personally disagree. I don't think he had quicker hands than Mike then. I think that version of Tyson in 96 compared to the Holyfield who fought Douglas, I would say, yeah, maybe Holyfield had quicker hands than that version of Tyson when Holyfield, uh, you know, the version of Holyfield who fought Douglas because Holyfield was a lot lighter when he fought Douglas than he was when he fought Tyson either time. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's about Holyfield's perception of himself and how he was able to have the confidence to go in there and do what he did to Mike Tyson, because this wasn't a guy who went in there and outboxed Tyson on the back foot, moved around. No, this was a guy who took it to Mike Tyson, who really fought fire with fire. And so, in his mind, he's thinking, I'm quick. I got quicker hands than this guy. I'm tougher than this guy. I'm smarter than this guy. This is how Holyfield's thinking. So it doesn't matter that the majority of people think that he's going to get blown away, including myself. I thought Holyfield was going to get demolished. Yes, I knew Holyfield was a great fighter. I'd watched him most of his career, I saw the great trilogy he had with Riddick Bow. But to me, he looked like a fighter on the on the decline. And most people felt that way. He had been stopped in the third Riddick Bowe fight, stopped really badly. He looked poor against Michael Mora in their first fight. Com- uh, he and He'd had health issues. And in his comeback against Bobby Chez after being out of the ring for a long time, he looked listless in that fight. So going up against Tyson, who'd been blowing people away, he just demolished Frank Bruno in three rounds in their rematch, knocked out Bruce Seldon in one round, and he was collecting the world titles again. I mean, it looked like a foregone conclusion, <laughs> for me at the time anyway, you know, obviously not knowing as much about boxing as I know now. So, yeah, Holyfield wasn't concerned about What people like me thought and the fact he was a 25 to one underdog and the fact that there were fans who were sending him get well cards before the fight, anticipating that he'd be in hospital after the fight. He didn't care about all that. He was confident in his own mind that he had the beating of Mike Tyson, that he was better than him in several different areas. And that's what he focused on. So whether he had quicker hands than Mike or not really doesn't matter because that's just one of the things that allowed him. I mean... It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's just something that allowed him psychologically to be confident enough to go in there and do what he did because he was counter Mike Tyson in there. That's one of the things that Tyson said is that Holyfield was a first-class counterpuncher. That every time Mike Tyson threw a shot, Holyfield would come back with two free on the counter. And he said that's something that always sticks in his mind when he thinks about the Holyfield fight is how well Holyfield counted him. And from a psychological point of view, there's the whole standing up to the bully business. Now, Mike Tyson, in several interviews, has claimed that he didn't try to intimidate people, although I've heard other interviews where he said he did, but certainly there were several interviews where he claimed that he never tried to intimidate people. He just did his thing, and if the opponent was intimidated then that's their business. Well, whether he intended to intimidate the opponents or not doesn't really matter. The point is he got used to opponents being intimidated, whether it was his intention or it wasn't opponents were intimidated. He got used to that. So when he would get in the ring, you know, sometimes upon many times the opponents were throwing don't hit me punches where they really didn't want to get Mike angry. <laughs> you know, this is what would happen with a lot of Mike Tyson opponents. There were some who genuinely tried to take it to him. Uh, during his first title run, Trevor Burbick, well, that was his first title fight. Burbick was a WBC heavyweight champion at the time. And Burbick really tried to take it to Mike, but he just didn't have the skill of Evander of Holyfield. Holyfield was much more skillful than somebody like Trevor Burbick, who was a relatively crude heavyweight. So Burbick didn't have the skill, didn't have the know-how, you know, wasn't quite as durable as Holyfield, but he did try to take it to Mike and obviously it backfired in spectacular fashion for Trevor Burbick. Pinkland Thomas, you know, maybe he tried to take it to Mike a little bit, but again, he didn't have the ability that Holyfield had to be able to get the job done. Uh, who else tried to take it to Mike? Maybe Tony Tubbs tried to take it to him a little bit. Some people are going to say Tony Tucker, but no, nah, Tucker didn't really try to take it to Mike. You know, he boxed on the back foot, he moved about. He tried to be safe. Yeah, he was doing some good boxing in the first couple of rounds, but he never really tried to take it to him. He never tried to take the bull by the horns and, you know, really get stuck in. Whereas Trevor Burbick did. I want to say Tony Tubbs did a little bit, but. Again, most opponents were throwing don't hit me punches and they were intimidated. And Mike Tyson got used to that from a psychological point of view. He got used to opponents not having the will to stand up to him. So Holyfield wanted to make a point of having that will whereby he wanted to land the last punch of the round every time. And they went after the bell several times in that fight. In fact, that was a, a theme in many Mike Tyson fights is Tyson used to like to land the last punch of the round and referees had to intervene and give warnings and all that kind of stuff very often. And this was a Mike Tyson tactic, actually, a, a Mike Tyson intimidation tactic is he always liked to get the last punch of the round in, even if it was after the bell. And he frequently would land shots after the bell, Mike Tyson, throughout his entire career. The opponents started giving it back to him. You know, some opponents. Uh, Buster Douglas, of course, in Mike Tyson's first defeat. <clears throat> he was trying to give it back to Tyson after the bell. In the Razor Ruddock fights, uh, Ruddock was not having it. You know, if Tyson was trying to hit him after the bell, Razor Ruddock was coming right back at him. And Holyfield had the same philosophy. You know, all the tactics of intimidation that Tyson tried to use, he was going to use them back on Mike. So, yeah. Making sure he got the last punch in at the end of the round by hook or by crook was part of his psychological plan uh, because again he's trying to let Mike know I'm here to fight I'm not one of these guys that's scared of you that's gonna lie down and be intimidated and throw don't hit me punches now I'm gonna hit I'm here to actually fight you <laughs> so whatever you think you're going to do to me I'm trying to do the same thing to you and that worked on Mike Tyson because he was surprised. He was taken aback by the amount of resistance that he was getting from Holyfield. You could see it in Tyson's demeanor and in his face, even after a couple rounds, he was surprised at how tough Holyfield was. Obviously he knew Holyfield was a, a very good fighter and skillful and he had heart and all that, but at the time Mike Tyson had just come out of prison and the Tyson mystique had probably grown to, I want to say an all time high in some ways. Yes. Because even though Mike Tyson had lost the Buster Douglas, when he went to prison and came out and he was talking all this crazy stuff, there were a lot of people at the time who were convinced that Mike Tyson was going to be better than ever because Mike Tyson had this image as a street thug, And that image that, that Street dude, street thug image was enhanced after he came out of prison. He just seemed to be even more intimidating in the eyes of a lot of people, even more vicious, even more ruthless. And the way he dispatched the people at like Bruno in the rematch and Bruce Seldon, you know Peter McNeely, Buster Mathis, again, people were thinking, "Wow, maybe he's actually better than ever." I remember. Multiple people in the media saying they think Mike Tyson's better than ever. Not everybody, of course, but there were some. In fact, there were many who were saying Mike Tyson was better than ever. So maybe the Mike Tyson, for a brief period, the Mike Tyson aura was even more uh, profound than it had been when he was still undefeated. You know, maybe because of that, you know, street dude uh, in, in, intimidation factor, which came in because when Mike Tyson had his first reign as heavyweight champion, yeah, everybody knew he was from Brownsville. He was from the streets, but he was hanging around with, uh, well, you know, at least on camera, you saw him with Kevin Rooney. You saw him with Steve Lott. You saw him with Jimmy Jacobs. So he wasn't really surrounded by street people like that. Once he fired those guys and Jimmy Jacobs died, of course, that's when you saw some of the street guys come in, when he hooked up with Don King. And that was after the Michael Spinks fight. <clears throat> so for the Frank Bruno fight, uh, the Williams fight, the Buster Douglas fight, the Razor Ruddock fights. But as I say, that whole street aura that he had around him went to a whole new level after he came out of prison. <laughs> you know, So again... Not to labor the point that he had a whole different type of energy around him, which a lot of people were very impressed by. And they thought, okay, Mike Tyson's real, real angry now. We're going to see him even more devastating than we've ever seen him before. But, uh, and, and you know, he went into the fight, I think, believing in all that Mike Tyson believed that he was the big bad street dude who just come out of prison, surrounded by killers. Like he had this hype man in his team called Crocodile, who was a convicted killer. And I think he believed that he was just too bad for Holyfield because Holyfield's a church boy, you know, not a guy who's ever been in trouble in his life and all that. And I think Tyson believed all that hype and it backfired on him. He realized that this church boy wasn't at all interested in all that street business. You know, wasn't impressed by it whatsoever. He understood that this is a fight. Between two guys in a ring with boxing gloves on and rules. So, all that street stuff doesn't matter in here. I don't care how long you've been to prison for, what you've done in your life, how many people you stuck up back in the days. Totally irrelevant in a professional boxing match, you know. And Mike Tyson realized that after a couple rounds, <laughs> only, if it, only if it wasn't impressed by none of that. So, yeah, definitely one of the most memorable nights of my life as a boxing fan, shocking because as I say, I expected Mike Tyson to win and win in style. Really in the the second round when Holyfield backed Mike Tyson up to the ropes and let off a combination, at that point, you realized this wasn't going to be an ordinary Mike Tyson night. And you could feel the tension and the anticipation of an upset building throughout that fight. And really the moment where you knew for certain that Mike Tyson was in serious trouble was in the sixth round when he was taking a sustained beating. Then he gets dropped at that moment. You realize, okay, Mike Tyson's got serious problems. Now this isn't just a tough fight. This is a fight where it's looking like he's probably going to lose. And then of course you add the 10th round where Mike Tyson got hurt at the end of it. And he was just getting absolutely battered uh, towards the end of that round on the ropes by Holyfield, barely made it through. Then in the 11th, of course, he got stopped on his feet and the referee, Mitch Halpin, you know, rescued him from further punishment. Mitch Halpin, by the way, received a lot of criticism from the public and the press, but particularly the public, for the way he refed that first Holyfield Tyson fight. Extremely unfair criticism, I might add, because the, the fanaticism around Mike Tyson was such that I think he even received death threats and all, all kinds of stuff. I, I thought Ferdy Pacheco as well, who did the commentary for Showtime, he was unduly harsh on Mitch Halpern, I thought. He didn't think that Halpern was authoritative enough, but I thought that he did a pretty good job, Mitch Halpern. I think that, again, when you have a whole heap of fanboys who are very emotional and upset about their fighter losing, they can just act in an idiotic fashion, and I think a lot of them did when it came to Mitch Halpern. Mitch Halpern, by the way, um, took his own life, I I don't know how much of it was related to the backlash he got from the first Holyfield Tyson fight, but he did take his life. It was a very sad, uh, you know, sad thing that happened to him, uh, Mitch Alpern. So, yeah, uh, that was the story of the first Holyfield Tyson fight, at least from my perspective as a boxing fan and just going over the tactics and the mental approach that Holyfield had very, very interesting. And it's really the, uh, the, the best example of a puncher who's just walking for everybody and gets his rude awakening. That's one of the best examples in boxing history. Really? Obviously you've got, you know, Muhammad Ali when he beat George Foreman, Douglas when he beat Tyson the first time, but certainly Tyson Holyfield st- still stands up there is one of the best examples of that. And it's fights like that. When you've lived through fights like that and you understand the context of the time, cause you were, you know, you were alive watching boxing at the time, you understand the context and the significance of that particular fight. You never really believe in anyone's aura of invincibility ever again. So today you've got, you know, well, Vassal Machenko's already lost, but let's say a few years back with Gennady Golovkin, he had this aura of invincibility and there were a lot of people who were saying that he can't lose. You know, there's nobody going to beat this guy. But myself and many other people, certainly who lived through that Mike Tyson era, we always believed that Golovkin could could be beat because we'd seen Mike Tyson get beat. And I know it's not always like for like, but Golovkin, he couldn't hold a candle to Mike Tyson in terms of aura of invincibility, in terms of an intimidating title run, in terms of the manner in which he was ripping opponents to pieces. Tyson was just on a different level to somebody like Golovkin. So, you know, for most of us who'd lived through that Mike Tyson Uh, era, Golovkin looked good and he looked, you know, dangerous, but this was no, I know they're different weight divisions and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just talking about the, the aura of invincibility that they had and even the, the ability, like Golovkin as a middleweight isn't even as fast as Mike Tyson was as a heavyweight. Just think about that. So I thought if... Tyson could have that done to him a few times. It can happen to Golovkin too. Golovkin, big heart, has shown no quitting him, has shown no punk in him, really. Because Mike Tyson ultimately, certainly after prison, he showed a lot of punk in him. When he lost the Holy Field both times, he was trying to find a way out of the fight by cheating. Whereas Gennady Golovkin has never shown those kind of mental fragilities. You know, when he's been taking a beating. He'll just take that beating, you know. So that's one thing you can say about him. But yeah, just from a technical point of view, from a tactical point of view, you understand that the puncher, the all-conquering puncher, is often an optical illusion, and it just takes the right fighter with the right skill set, the right mentality, to be able to expose that puncher. And I think that really. Some people say the first signs that Golovkin was vulnerable to being beaten were in the Kell Brook fight. Maybe, but really for me, it was the Danny Jacobs fight. That fight right there was somebody who stood up to Golovkin and showed that he wasn't the big bad boogeyman that a lot of people thought he was. Very good fighter. Don't get it twisted. But people tend to get carried away with these big punchers who have these menacing reputations mike tyson being the ultimate you know big punch with a menacing reputation so anyway long meandering video but hopefully you guys enjoyed reminiscing with me catch you on the next one it's happening i'm out join me on patreon i upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream q a sessions take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts i've produced so far For just three dollars a month, the equivalent of about two pounds a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalog of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today.